1: We're gonna to transition to continue our study in First Peter. Do you guys bring your Bibles? Some of you, if you didn't, there are Bibles in the back. I would encourage you to grab one and follow along. Open up to First Peter chapter two. Uh, I will say that I really tried hard to give this Sunday away to my wife. Uh, I didn't wanna preach this text and uh, If she wasn't pregnant, she probably would have said yes, but she's growing a human and that takes like a lot of energy. And uh, I mean, I don't really know, but some of you do. And so (laughs) here I am. uh, I ask for your mercy and grace, but one of the things we've been doing in the series is simply uh, letting let the words be read and then we follow up the reading with a time of silence where we can like, do a a number of things. We can reflect on what we've just heard, or we can simply quiet our mind and say, come Holy Spirit. And as distractions come, to just continue to focus our attention on God. So we'll follow up the scripture reading with one minute of silence, okay? So I want to invite up my friend Tracy Hess forward. She's going to be reading for us. Many of you know Tracy and love Tracy. Uh, She has been a life group leader forever, I think, uh, along with her husband, Shane, and uh, the mother of Liam. That button needs to be pushed till it's green, and if you could just step up on the stage.
0: For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed for the king has set them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right it is god's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you for you are free yet you are god's slaves so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil respect everyone and love the family of believers for god and the respect of the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, and not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course you do not get credit for being patient if you are, be- if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow his steps. He never sinned and never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for, the, for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without, without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered.
1: Let's do a minute of silence. So come, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would make this text come alive. Help us to understand it. Help us to live it. And in so doing, give us the faith we need to trust you. As we sometimes face hostility, chaos, antagonism, uncertainty, grief, and struggle. We need you to come and heal. Jesus, we look to you as our king and our teacher. And we love you. Amen. It's a really tough passage. Were you listening? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot of potential here to get not only lost in the weeds, but I, I expect actually that some of you have been the victim of the misuse or abuse of some of these verses. And I think the heart and the intent is just the opposite of abuse. I think the intent is empowerment. It is to give strength. It is a radical word for a world that is actually fairly different than ours today in many ways and very similar to ours today in others. And so you could easily focus on the, uh, like the, the theme that really holds all this together, the word submission and apply it to wives and how they must submit to their husbands and use that as a club or as a stick Um, you could read this, I think, incorrectly as a command to passivity, but I do not see passivity in the life of Jesus or in the teachings of Jesus. I see peace, and I see blessing, and I see strength in meekness and victory in death, not surrender, not a call to be a victim, but a a call to live life as Jesus did. And in particular, in a world where the people were living as if in exile. So if you were here last week, you remember that the verses that preceded these Used three identifiers for the people who were hearing. Do you remember what they were? Pilgrims. In other words, this world is not your home. We seek and long for a heavenly city. Pilgrims, number two, exiles. In other words, we live in a world that does not hold the same values as. Jesus, our true king. There are messages, there are constant uh, invitations to follow the ways of the world or the ways of the flesh or the ways of selfish self-protection and control. Uh, And then there is Jesus who is inviting us to live a life of love and service and compassion and kindness. And so it's almost as if we are uh, related to, in a sense, the people of Israel who were plucked up a a few hundred years before Jesus came by the Babylonians and carried off into a distant land. And so we're away from home, living in a culture that just has sometimes different, sometimes hostile values than ours. But that's not the only two words. The third word is to describe our identity is beloved. The word beloved or beloved friend, uh, as it comes through in many other modern translations, is rooted in the word agape, or the kind of love that God has for his people, the kind of love that would die for his people. So our identity is rooted in God's love for us. And so let me read the preceding verses to again show how or why these, this passage we just read uh, has meaning and shape. So verse 11 and 12, dear friends, dear beloved, uh, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly, or remember the Greek here, to live beautifully among your unbelieving neighbors then even if or even when they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And so what we have here is a way of living in a specific context where the people are as if in exile. And I think these are identifiers that we today need to keep always at the front of our minds. We are pilgrims, we are exiles, but we are also beloved. How do we live in a world? How do we operate if we're married to someone? How do we work if we work for someone who doesn't follow Jesus the same way we do? In the case of the address to the wives, it's clear that these wives are married to people who did not accept the teachings or way of Jesus because the wives are trying to win their husbands over to the way of Jesus. And so what would be normal in that time and place is that whoever the husband made friends with, the wife also was expected to befriend, including their gods. And so it would have been entirely uh, subversive for a wife to say, my husband follows these pagan gods, but I follow Jesus. It would have been totally subversive for a slave to say, my master follows this set of gods, this set of ethics, this set of morals, this way of living, but I have given my life to Jesus. And I'm going, I'm actually, I'm free in a way that my earthly master could never give me freedom. And the appeal that the message of Jesus had to these people, slaves and women in particular, who are used to being at the bottom uh, rung of the Greco-Roman society, and the equality that Jesus affords to them in his kingdom, the dignity that he shows, uh, well, to, to actual women as he was living and walking the earth. But then as the church spreads throughout the empire, uh, Peter actually makes a reference to it here when he addresses husbands. He's addressing believing husbands when he says, in the same way, in other words, just as I've just asked wives to submit, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be like physically weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. This is another one of those little hints at what Peter is doing big picture here. Even if you have the strength, even if you have the might, even if you have the authority, the way of Jesus is to lay down that power in order to love and serve. And this brings, brings the whole thing into sharp focus. This has an edge to it, because Peter is talking to exiles. And so let's go back to the Babylonian exile. Again, this is several hundred years before Jesus, but you have the people of God being taken away from their homes and planted in different parts of the empire with the intent of the Babylonians to assimilate with the intent of the Babylonians to basically wipe out the cultural identity of the people they had conquered so that they just become good Babylonian citizens. And one of the common um, responses to that attempt would be to resist through violence or defiance. (laughs) And so I'll call this the John Wayne approach to exile. You know, you might be living in someone else's culture, but you just kind of glare at everything all the time. And when you get the chance, like, you'll take it down if you can. Like, if you, you kill before you get killed. That's the idea. And so there's the, the and people would do this, uh, both in the Babylonian sense, I'm going to resist, I'm going to hit harder than you hit, I'm going to take power here, or I'm just going to bide my time until I can. The Jews did this after the life of Jesus. didn't turn out well for them. Jesus says something interesting to Peter uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And the Jews, instead of following the way of Jesus, in both 75 and 135, have many rebellions that are violent and attempt to overthrow the Roman rule in Judea. What happens to the Jews is in the first case, the first rebellion led by a messiah is that the Romans destroy the temple. In the second case, they destroy the entire city of Jerusalem. And so they used the world's methods and the world won. (laughs) The John Wayne method led to the diaspora or the scattering of the Jews in the first and second centuries. The other option when you're in Babylon, when you're living as exiles, is to just capitulate or assimilate. I mentioned this a second ago, and I'll use this uh, picture of, you you know who that is? Rambo, actually. This is, uh, the movie really isn't the point. The chameleon idea is the point. You maybe know people who kinda like act really different depending on their social context, and you're thinking, I thought I knew you, but now I'm hanging out with you in this new space. Uh, because they take on the characteristics of the people they're around. They're like a chameleon. And so when you're living in exile, this is the other option, right? You just become like the culture, indistinguishable from the culture. Maybe your intentions are good. You're like, well, if I become like them, then they'll accept my message. I'll be really relevant, I'll be really cool, I'll be really hip. But before long, uh, you've made concessions and you've made... uh, Like we'll call it regressions and you don't look any different or live any different or sound any different from the the people who, the dominant culture, let's say. In the first case, the people of Babylon. In this case, in first Peter, the Roman values in today's world, like we all live in a Western world with many values that do not match the ways of Jesus. And so you can assimilate or wage war on the culture. That seems to be the only two options, except Jeremiah the prophet offers a third way, and Jesus will offer us a third way. Not a middle way, but a third way. So if you have your Bibles, flip a bunch of pages to the left to Jeremiah chapter 29, whether you know it or not, you have probably read part of Jeremiah 29 on a Hallmark card. <laughs> uh, and we will read that part that ends up on the Hallmark cards. Apparently, I don't have a usually I have bookmarks to help me get there fast. Okay. So this is a letter written by Jeremiah during the Babylonian captivity to people from Israel who are now living in exile in the Babylonian empire. So we'll start with verse one. It says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, and prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's jump down to verse four. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Could this be right? Living in exile, settle down, plan to stay. Marry and have children, verse six. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, good job, Houstons. (laughs) Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Who? The Babylonian king? The Babylonian people work for their good. Pray to the Lord for it, huh? The Babylonians, the Romans, Caesar, the king, the president, the CEO of Facebook, pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them. So what the, the prophets are, this is brought up in previous chapters, the prophets are basically saying, get ready to go home. Uh, we're gonna win this fight. Like through violence. Like this, this is gonna be over soon. God is on our side. And Jeremiah is saying, they're making that up. They're telling you what you want to hear. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And so there is this third way proposed by Jeremiah, which you actually see lived out in the book of Daniel. And I'm not going to go deep into what happens in the book of Daniel, but you have examples of four men who are living in captivity who actually dress like. The Babylonians do. They serve in the king's court for the prosperity of the king and his empire. But they do not lose themselves or their commitment to God. In fact, they willingly put themselves, well, in one case, in a fiery furnace, in another case, in a den of lions, because they will not worship anybody or pray to anybody but the Lord their God. And so while they pray, and work toward the prosperity of their enemies, of their captors. They do not respond in violence, and the, nor do they respond to, like, capitulation or assimil- assimilation. They remain distinct, living the way that God had commanded them, and yet for the flourishing of their city. And so First Peter is doing something very similar, I think, here. And when we hear the word submit, it brings in a lot of baggage toward us. I don't have a complete understanding of what Peter is teaching here. But when I try to wrap my mind around it, I see what he describes submission as, and I'll just use some words that you heard as Tracy was reading. Perhaps a way to define submission is to show respect honor and to serve those in authority over you. Respect, honor, and serve. Work for the well-being of your employer and your bosses, even if they're bad bosses. Work to honor and respect and serve your husband, even if he's not the nicest husband. And that doesn't mean that you stay in abusive relationships. Work to honor, respect, and serve your wife. Work to honor and respect and serve your friends, your church community, your city councils, your schools. This is the way to live in exile and follow the ways of Jesus. To bless, in other words, and not to curse. And we look at Jesus as our best and primary example. So I already mentioned uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember what Peter, this Peter, this guy who's writing did when a small battalion of soldiers came to arrest Jesus? He goes all Peter on them. (laughs) He embraces his authentic self as like kind of a hothead zealot and he takes authority and he draws his sword and he goes swinging for the, uh, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus says, good job. You be you, Peter. (laughs) Wrong. Jesus says, put away your sword. I'm here to die for the people I love. And I'm going to give my life willingly. This is not passivity. This is a choice. And so Peter, I think, has this transformative moment where his view of power is subverted by Jesus' view of power. Jesus says, you know who I am? I could call down 70,000 angels right now, and I choose not to. I could win this war through might and force. And I'm going to do it through love and sacrifice. It's amazing that Peter addresses slaves and when he's addressing the slaves, he actually says, you guys remind me of someone. And this suffering is not how God intended it that you're going through, but your suffering reminds me of Jesus' suffering. He links slaves, people, suffering the sharpest injustice to the person of Jesus who brings justice <laughs> by suffering injustice. And so here in verse, uh, well, go back to 1 Peter. Did you keep your thumb in there? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed." Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In other words, Peter had this belief that he was going to take control of the moment and he was going to be the guardian of Jesus when he pulled out his sword. And now, maybe 30 years later, Peter is writing this letter, and he's been filled by the Holy Spirit, and he sees that it is God guarding him, not the other way around. He sees that there is a rock that is bigger and mightier than him. So, Matthew chapter 16. I know we are running out of time. I've actually been meaning to get to this passage for the last three weeks. If you've been running slides, you know this. (laughs) I just keep not getting to it. Yeah, Beth is laughing. Matthew 16, verse 15. You guys know this passage. Here is where Jesus gives Simon his new name, Peter. Uh, And it is in the context of Jesus asking Peter, Simon Peter, who do you say that I am, verse 15. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, here's a failure of the English language for you. You see the word rock and rock, don't you? And so we think, and maybe Peter thought, I am the rock on which God will build his church. And maybe each of us think, I am the rock on which God will build his church, because I am really gifted, really loving, really caring, really important. You are important to me and to God too. But in the Greek, there's a slight change He looks at Simon and says, you are Petros. But then he says, on Petra, I will build my church. You, Peter, are a boulder, but there is a bedrock on which I will build my church. Petra meaning bedrock, Petros meaning boulder. The boulder sets on the bedrock. What is bedrock what is the this remember the exchange Jesus says but who do you say that I am and Simon Simon Peter answered you are the Messiah you are the king the true king the true authority greater than any Caesar president CEO greater than any abusive husband greater than any mean boss. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This statement, you are the king, you are the Messiah. This is the rock on which Jesus builds his church. And so as you live in exile, as you live as pilgrims, as you live... As Peter calls us to, into the way of Jesus, remember that you stand on a rock. And if you suffer like Jesus for good, to show people the beauty of God, this is how his kingdom works. So don't be tempted by worldly power or worldly methods or the way of Peter. Don't be tempted to think that you are the center of the universe or that you are the bedrock on which you can stand when things get hard. The invitation is to look to Jesus, the true foundation and the true king. So let's stand. Let's pray. Let's invite God's spirit. Father, We need you to come and transform us as you did with Peter, to make us more like you, to live holy lives, even in the face of pressure and antagonism, to be courageous, but not to take control, but to serve and to honor and to respect and to love. We need your spirit to flow into us and transform us and change us. We look to you, Jesus, who was in very nature God, but took on the form of a human and a servant and washed feet and blessed children and invited lepers and loved the poor, and embraced the outcast. We need your Holy Spirit in order to live this way. And so Jesus, we turn to you as our rock and our salvation and our deliverer. And we invite you into this time of worship. We sing to you, not about you, We welcome your spirit.
0: Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.